0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. And so as I said before, we're going to continue our, our teaching on preparation to be used by God. Uh, you, the, the subtitle for, for my my portion for tonight is... Is preparing our hearts to restore the lost. Preparing our hearts to restore the lost. And, and as I was going through this particular study and, and, and list, listening to all the, the messages that had gone on before and, and all of the, the things that were happening in this ministry with the, uh, with the young people and with, with, with our, our 20 days of preparation and just all that, that God is, is, is revealing and pouring into us, I thought, you know, who do we think we are? Who do we think that we are? And of course, being a worker in the children's <laughs> ministry, I said, well, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you can turn there, who do we think we are? You ought to came up in there. You should know this by heart. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who do we think we are? We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, ethnos Hagias. Our ethnicity is holy. We're strange folk. And it's so strange that we would show forth praises of him that has called us out of darkness. Knowing that he hasn't just called us, but he's called the world. He has declared peace on earth. That there is now goodwill directed towards all men; that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so here we are. We are. We are. We are this this chosen people. This this royal priesthood. And I think sometimes we forget about that. We forget that about ourselves as we as we go about our daily lives and as we listen to what what we tell ourselves and what the world tells us about what our value is, about what our worth is, about what our place is and where we belong and what we should say and what we can and what we cannot do. We forget that we are are the king's children. We are descended from the king. We have been grafted into the true vine. The one and only Lord, the king of kings. The Lord Most High, Jehovah, the Most High God. And too often we 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 have to remind ourselves that, that because we're the, because we're descended from the king, because we come from royal stock, that we have to conduct ourselves in a way. And we we see our brothers, and we're like, Well, you how can they treat my brother like this? Do you not know that he is descended from the king? That he is of royal stock? How can he treat himself like this? Does he not know that he is of royal lineage? That there is so much more intended than where he is? Who do we think we are? What God has placed in us. The price that Jesus Christ has paid for us. That we would be His purchased possession. That we would be His purchased possession. And you know, if we would have this revelation of who we are, then it wouldn't matter what the world had to say about us. It wouldn't matter what what labels they tried to put on us. It would not matter the things that we see that are now present. Because we would know that those things are only temporary. That those things are just the facts. But that Jesus Christ, He is the truth. He is the way and He is the life. He is the living water. He is the living water. We call ourselves Church of the Living Water. Don't you know that living water, that's a term that they used in, 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 in Scripture. It meant fresh water. It meant water that you could receive life from that would not make you sick it would not kill you from the inside but that would be health to your bones and strength to your body living water people would search out where could i find living water and they would build their habitations in those areas they would they would say i'm going to stop my journey i'm going to stop my searching in this place because here is fresh water here is life. Here is that which will build me up. So we can't be dis- we can't become discouraged by by our present circumstances. We can't be tricked and fooled by the things that are seen with the eyes, but we have to see with those eyes that God has given us. Even as He opened up the eyes of of Elisha's servant, that we can see that greater is he that is with us than those that are against us. That we are surrounded, that we are surrounded by a heavenly host. That our cause is taken up by a strong champion. And the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Glory to God. I haven't even gotten started into my notes. But who do we think that we are? If we knew who we were, we would wake up with purpose. We would run with purpose, with direction. We would not cast about, hoping to find the favor of men, hoping to find the favor of women, compromising ourselves, trading our time for pennies. Instead, we would be kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, saying everything needs to be directed into building the kingdom of God because that's all that matters in this life. Only what we do for Christ will last. Everything else is wood, hay, and stubble. It will be burned in a time of testing, in a times of trials, in a time of tribulations when the next recession comes. When they're laying off. When houses are being foreclosed on. When trouble comes. Only what you do for Christ will matter. Only who you are in Christ will matter. When your 401k is only $4.01. Only what you do for Christ will matter. Because he is the truth. He is the truth. Now, as we've been studying about being prepared to be used by God, the the first teachings came from Ezra 7. And let's go there. Ezra 7 and 6. Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. And it says that this Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe. In the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests, according to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. Ezra knew where he was descended from. He knew that even though he was in captivity in Babylon, even though he was a stranger in a strange land, that there was a place that God had designated for him. He knew who he was. And because of that, he made himself ready. A student of the word of God, of the laws of God. He studied all that was written in the books of Moses. All that the the children were to keep in their hearts as a remembrance of who they were. Of where they came from. Of what God's intention was for them. He didn't just know the facts, but he had committed them into his heart. He trusted and placed great faith in what God's word said. That's what made him a ready scribe. Go down to verse 10 and verse chapter 7. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments that Ezra had prepared his heart. He made ready his heart. He put away his doubts. He put away his insecurities. He put away his weaknesses and those things that he could not do in and of himself. He put away the opinions of others in their judgments. Anything that was contrary to the Word of God, he cast it out. He prepared his heart. To seek the law of the Lord and to do it. To put it into practice so that it would have power in his life. And to teach it, to teach the statute to all of Israel the statutes and the judgments. And we talked about in the book of Isaiah about this day of salvation. About when God would bring deliverance. Ezra taught and had prepared himself to remind the people of who they were. Of their place in the kingdom. And Isaiah began to prepare the people and began to prophesy about the day when salvation would come. In Isaiah chapter 62. And I know we started at verse 10 where it said, Go through, go through in the gates, prepare ye the way of the people. But I was so blessed, I went up to verse 6. Isaiah 62 and verse 6, it says, I have set a watchman. I have set watchmen upon thy walls. O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He said, I've set watchmen. And I misspoke, I said, hey, watchmen. He said, no, it's, it's many. I've set many watchmen. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the ministers. It's not just the praise team. I've set watchmen on the wall that will not hold their peace day or night declaring the praises of our God. Declaring the acceptable year of the Lord. Declaring that now is the time for gathering in. Never holding their peace neither day nor night. Offering praises and prayers unto our God. Continuous praise and continuous prayers unto our God. Until that which is spoken, that which has been promised, has been made a reality. Now we know that these people, that they, that they were anticipating the restoration of Jerusalem as the place of worship. That the walls were being rebuilt and the city was being surrounded and girded in. So that the place was being prepared. But not only was the place being prepared, but the people were also being prepared. That people were going to be in the city, but people were going to come from miles around, from countries all around, returning from their captivity, returning from their bondage and from their enslavement, returning from their false worship, from their idolatries, and returning back to true worship. Returning back to true worship. Not worshiping the created thing. Not worshiping... ...idols made of wood and stone... ...but prostrated themselves before the Creator... ...in the place that He had designed. Now for us, we know that the place... ...the place of salvation... ...is Jesus Christ. And He has already come. And so now we we are calling the people to gather in... ...to be reconciled to Jesus Christ... ...to come into Jesus Christ... To come away from their idolatry, to come away from their false worship, to stop casting their eyes upon the created things, but to prostrate themselves before the Creator of all. That in Jesus Christ that they would find wholeness. They would be complete. The people that God has called. The watchman, they anticipate. They anticipate the trials that are coming. You don't set a watchman just to look pretty. You don't set a watchman in vain. A watchman is set because trials are bound to come. And the watchman is keeping watch, but he's also preparing the people. Making ready the people for what is going to come next. The watchman gives a warning. Gather in your arms, gird up your loins, prepare yourselves for what God has us to do. The watchman is not watching in vain. But we must be ready. We must be ready, a ready people, to restore the lost to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We must be ready, a ready people to restore the lost to a relationship with the body of Christ. To restore the lost to relationship with the body of Christ, which is the local church. Too often the people have been scattered as sheep without a shepherd. And they've wandered around trying to find their own way. Not having a perfecting gift to declare the word of God to them. And because they've not had that perfecting gift to declare the word, they have heard these things about who they are and about what their place is. And about what the promise is and who the blessing is. And the people have become confused because they, they, they've allowed stones to crowd in their hearts. They've allowed thorns to be sown in their hearts, choking out the truth of God's words. And they've relied on their circumstances, on what they can see, what they can sense, the facts. And they've trusted in their facts instead of trusting in the true and living God. When we talk about preparation, we're talking about how do we make the people ready for useful service? How a people are made ready for useful service. And whenever this, this, this word preparation comes up, you know, you all have to forgive me. I always think about my grandmother in her garden. If she would grow many things in her garden, but one thing that always seemed to come up in her garden as the, as the, as the, as the frost melted away is it seemed like her garden always grew rocks. Her garden always grew rocks. And I never understood that. Like, how does the garden grow? Last year, last spring, I know I pulled up those rocks and I raked them out. And I know that I made that ground ready because she was going to do her planting. So how is it these rocks are back in this garden? It wasn't until later on that I, that, that I, that I learned some things about nature and about the earth. And what it is, what's going on is that in the earth, there's soil. And in the earth, there's rocks. In the earth, there's, there's, there's fine materials and there's hard materials. It's always there. You can say it came from Adam. It's always there. It's always been there. It will always be there. And what would happen is that the rains would come as the ice would melt and the rains would come, they would the, the rains would push down into the ground. And as the water was going into the ground, it would push the rocks up because it was easier for the rocks to go up than for them to go further down. So as the as the rains came, that which was supposed to bring life, that which is supposed to bring new fruits and new seeds in abundance, it was also pushing up that which was already present that had been covered up from the last year. It had been, had been had been topsoiled over and prettied up. But now all those things that were already in the ground, they started coming up and coming up and coming up. And so the work began again. The work begins again to go into the garden to get those rocks out. You say, well, they're, they're 17 years old, my work is done. No, the work is, begins again. The work When they're 21, the work begins again. When they're 30, the work begins again. Glory to God. I was talking to our pastor, Pastor Hill. I was like, you know, when raising children, I never realized how long it took. I thought you just needed to do it for 10 years at the most if they were a little slow. (laughs) 16 if they were advanced. But no. No, the work begins. Every season, the work, every time the year comes, the work begins again. As God is trying to do something new to take them further, to bring the place, the ministry to a new level, the work begins again. Why is that? Because every time God wants to move us to another level, those rocks begin to rise up. Those envyings, those strifes, that pettiness, that childishness begins to resurface. And we have to patiently, patiently work the garden again. Work, Pull out those rocks once again. So preparation, that is what it's, it is to make ready for useful service. Preparation—it's a choice. Preparation is a choice. <coughs> Excuse me. I was feeling a certain way this past week, and I and I and I, and I, and I sent out a post. And I said, you know. God God's decision is to is to allow us to wake up. It's our decision on if we get out of bed or not. You know. He gave us this day. He he allowed us to rise up today. It's our decision to choose to live for him. It's our decision to choose to live for Him, to have a life that is, that is worth something, that has some meaning, that is not just empty. It's our decision to choose to live for Him. Your preparation, it always precedes excellence. You don't have to, pre- you don't have to prepare to be mediocre if you plan on failing you know what if you want to if you want to uh, start running a marathon and you don't care if you finish or not you don't even need to train if you want to if you want to run a marathon and you don't care if you finish you don't need to train but if you plan on finishing you better prepare if you just want to go to college and have a party you don't even need to study you just need to get, graduate from high school and get admitted. That's it. Get your financial aid check and have fun. You don't even need. But if you plan on graduating with a degree, you need to make effort. You need to take steps. If you want to just have a so-so family, if you just want to have a mediocre marriage, it doesn't take any effort. Just come home every night. That's all you got to do. But if you want to have a marriage of excellence, if you want to raise a godly seed, preparation. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to dig up those rocks. Effort is required. Preparation is the unseen work. And we've covered this before. It's the unseen work that produces the results that everybody sees. Everybody likes to compliment you on the on the results, the results, the results. Nobody says, oh, you did a great job making your children go to bed on time. Oh, you did such a good job taking over their homework. Oh, you did such a great job reading the scriptures to them. You know, no no you don't get compliments for that. That's the unseen work. That's the unseen work. preparation it's, it's what enables you. It's what enables you to be able to, to meet the mark, to meet the standard. It's the individual work that you have to do to meet the standard that is set for everybody. Because listen, the standard that is set is set for the whole body. No one's picking on you. No one's singling you out. The standard is set by God and it's set by the whole body. It's set for the whole body. But the work to meet that standard, that's individual. And that's your work. That's your work. Your preparation and your lack of preparation is seen when you're tested. when the test comes you know it rains on the just and the unjust when the test comes when the test comes that's when we will see you can say you can say what you want to say you can fool us we're not your judge but when the test comes that's when your preparation will show that's when it'll show That's when we'll know if you're able to meet the standard. But we're talking about the standard, the standard is true worship. The standard is true worship. Go to John chapter 4. We're talking about being prepared to restore our hearts, to restore the loss. It's so appropriate here. Jesus is talking to this woman in Samaria. Samaria. And she's throwing all kinds of facts His way. She's throwing all kinds of facts His way about what her people do and her culture and her mama names and her auntie names. Jesus cuts through it all and says, listen, let me tell you what the truth is. John chapter 4, verse 24. Let's start with verse 23. It says, but the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He says, I know my children are out there. I know that they are out there. I know that my children are out there. I'm going to call, I'm going to call until they come in. Until they realize who they are. And they come in. The true worshipers. For God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The standard is true worship. It's not about our our ethnic backgrounds. It's not about this is the black man preaching to you. It's not about how old I am or how young I am or how rich or how poor I am. It's about that we worship the true God in spirit and in truth, we worship the only God, the Almighty God. The standard is to love your God with all. Talking about preparing your hearts. It's the unseen work to be able to meet the standard. The standard is to love the Lord your God with all. Go to Matthew chapter 22. And they're asking him, these, these are supposed to be the, the teachers, the rulers of the people. Those that have been telling the people God's laws. Those that should have been ready scribes that were not ready. Fake teachers. Fake teachers. Fake teachers. Saying that God has spoken when God has not spoken. Declaring things that God has not declared. Teaching the people to go away that that is not the way of righteousness. Righteousness. And they came and they're tried to. they trying to test Jesus. They're trying to test Him. But when He's tested, Jesus shows you who He is. And He shows you who you are too. They said, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 36, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Matthew 22, verse 36. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That we should love the Lord our God with all. That the Lord should be our God. That the only true God should be our God. And if He is the only true God, then we should love Him with all. If He is above all, if all things are subject to Him, then we should bow all things down before His feet. And love Him with all. That we should not hold back any portion. That we should not have in reserve. Any portion. Not, have, no side gods you know this, is, this, is, this God is good for Sunday, Wednesday is sometimes on Saturday no, no, no love the Lord your God the Lord needs to be your God the Lord of all needs to be the Lord over your heart the one who is the ruler of all creation needs to have reign and rule over your heart. You know, I love I love the... It's another way that they say this in, in a, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8. I probably got it all wrong, but that's probably it. It talks about the Macedonians, how they, they first gave themselves to God. They first gave themselves up. They said, you know what? All that we are is yours. It's all yours, God. And then they were able to give themselves to the people. If we're going to win the lost, if we're going to win the lost, if we're going to restore the lost to true worship, we're going to have to love the Lord our God with all. We're going to have to stop trying to to entice, to seduce, to trick people to come into relationship with God because none of those things will work. You cannot date. You don't have the, a dating ministry. Is that, is that a thing? Your, your ministry of dating is not your evangelistic tool. Right? That's a pagan's tool. They went on dates, and that's how they got the people into their temples. Brother Martin was talking about those people this morning. I think he used the word harlots or something like that. But your, your, your personal connections are not your evangelistic tool. Your worldly influence is not your evangelistic tool. We have to love the Lord our God with all. People can't want to come to to your church because they think that you will look at them favorably on the job. Love the Lord your God with all. The Lord of all creation has reign and rule over our hearts. Because you come in His door, I don't look at you any differently on the job. I don't consider your worth any different. It has to be the same way with our children. Because your children play the game and they they come in here and they, they have nice Sunday morning worship with you and they have a nice Sunday afternoon dinner. That does not mean that they have committed themselves to the Lord. That should not color... How you perceive them and how you minister to them. How you declare the standard of God to them. You know, I'm glad you came. I'm hoping that if you come, you'll hear something. But until you heard something, you know what? You just went in there and you came out a little bit tired. The, the seed was, was sown, but it was sown on rocky ground. And when the rains come, when the rain, and the rains will come, when the rains come, that seed will just wash away. Because it has no root. I'm not gonna give you church credit. I'm not gonna give you credit for Christian experience. I'm gonna declare the word of God without ceasing. Until I see the fruit of righteousness springing forth out of you, we're talking about restoring the lost. We have to love the Lord our God with all. The standard is to crucify the flesh. The standard is to is to mortify is to kill the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. It says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The standard is to crucify the flesh. The standard is to not... Forsake the assembling of ourselves. This is that unseen work. Nobody knew what it took for you to press your way to get in here. But you knew. You knew the arguments that they tried to bring up and the controversies that, that seemed to come up at the last minute. Just as you're ready to get out the door, you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. i got to put that on pause. Because I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself. You know what? These things will be done later. I will not miss my fellowship time to try and appease your ego. You're saying we don't talk enough, that we don't spend enough time together. Well, come on out to hear the word of God with me. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let's bless his name and then maybe we can talk about something that's worth talking about. Instead of the same foolish arguments over over and over and over and over and over again about socks and dishes and yard work. What, what is this even about? Don't you know, don't you know who I am? I'm descended from royalty. I don't have time to be fooled around with these trivial, these fleshly matters. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be tripped up and ensnared by that. We need to mortify the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. I'm not going to be calling up and, 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 and instant messaging some, some old worldly people. Just because I'm, I'm feeling a certain way. Because I I had bad news or good news. Or just because it's Tuesday. No, no, no. I, I mortified. I killed that part. That's, it's dead. It is lifeless. There was no life there. Crucifying the flesh. That's the standard. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. The unseen work is how we press towards the mark. We said it's an individual work. One of the definitions that I learned in this ministry is that integrity is who you are. That your integrity is who you are when no one else is around. Your integrity is when when no one can see you. And they don't have access to your browser history or to your, your your Netflix queue. When they don't know what you checked out from the library or, or who you had lunch with on the job or where you went to lunch at. Your integrity is who you are when no one else is around. And what does that mean, no one else is around? Because you're like, I'm always around somebody. No, when no one that you fear That you have reverence for, that you have respect for, that represents a godly filter of authority is around. When you could pop off and say something, when you could get all into your feelings and be justified in your own mind in doing so, who you are at that point in time, that's your integrity. That's your integrity. As an engineer, I would do tests on mater- on different materials. And I've told the story before. And we would, we would, we would, uh, make different materials into bars. And the way that we could distinguish between if we were getting closer to what we wanted or further away is that as we made the bars, we would press, we would put those bars under stress. We would put them under stress. And we would see what it would take to break them. We would see what it would take to break them. And based on what it took to break them, we knew what it was. We knew what it was based on what it took to break them. Your integrity is who you are when no one else is around. When your godly filter of authority is not around, do you maintain your integrity? Are you like those three Hebrew boys that say, you know what? You, can, you have the power. We recognize that you can put us into this furnace. But King, you know this. That today we shall be delivered from you. If we die or if our God delivers us, you will know that we have no fear. We have no fear. Because we know who we are. We know who we are. The unseen work, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emptying out. It's a clearing out. And it's a filling up. You're going to have to change your mind. You're going to have to renew your mind. You're going to have to have a change of opinion. You're going to have to have a, a change in your values what the world has told you is important, you're going to have to realize that, that that doesn't matter if it's not what God says is important. Then I'm going to have to count everything that I've gained in this world as lost so that I can attain to the excellency of Christ Jesus so that I can be in that place, the place that has been prepared for me in Jesus Christ. A change in judgments. And what I consider to be right and wrong. What I consider to be acceptable, excuse me, and what is not acceptable. I need to see the lost the same way that God sees them. I need to agree with God's word. You know, we're going to have to empty ourselves out from entitlement. And I'm just going to go to this, 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 this last uh, portion of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 15. And you know, a lot of times we get these Bibles, and, and especially when, when, when our children are younger, we give them these, these Bibles that have these illustrations, they have these, these captions and these headings and these summaries. That that, that helped them to understand and get a handle on the word of God. And so, in this passage in Luke chapter 15, uh this is it, called you know, the prodigal son in some of the, the, the elementary Bibles, but you know, the word prodigal is never mentioned in Scripture. And in fact, this this thing is not it's not about just this this one son at all. This narrative that Jesus tells is about it's about a father, and it's about His two sons. And every single one of those people has an important... God is saying something very specific about every... Not just about the one that was lost. But He's saying something about the father. And He's saying something about the younger son. He's saying something about the older son as well. And so just keep in your mind that that we're going to have to empty ourselves out... Of our entitlement. You know, for the younger son, society may have have told this younger son that that he was not as important as the older son because he was only going to, he only merited a half a share, whereas the, the older son merited, let's say the father's estate could be broken into three equal pieces. The older son merited two portions, and the younger son only merited one portion. And so the younger son could have, could have felt, so, you know, society says that I'm not as important. That, that maybe I'm not as critical to the work that needs to be done. You know, the older son probably thought, you know, I can just sit in the back. And, and maybe not even be noticed. Or not even be counted. Or maybe I don't even need to come. Because I'm just extra. They don't really need me They don't need me for what God is trying to do. But don't don't you know, we have to see the loss the way that God sees them. And He says that every single one of us, every single one of us has a place and a position in the kingdom of God. That none of us is extra, none of us is left over, none of us is unnecessary, none of us can afford to be invisible, that we are all vital. And crucial in having a heart to restore the loss, we're going to have to empty ourselves out of immaturity, of immaturity. The immature mind. Believes that the entire world is centered around them. If you don't believe me, just look at a baby. Look at them from, 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 from birth until about four years old. They believe, actually 40 some of them, but they believe that the whole world revolves around them. That when they cry, they will be fed. So they have to cry. Because then nobody will know to feed them. They're they're saying, look at me, right? Every every two year old, as soon as they get finished saying mama and dada, they start. The next set of words is, look at me, watch me, watch me, because their their entire world is centered around them. We're gonna have to come out of our immaturity and realize that this work is not about us. It's not about us. That we are humbling ourselves. We are the lesser in service to the greater. We are the lesser in service to the greater. In Luke chapter chapter 15 verse 12, it says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And in my Bible, that's italicized. It's a a special emphasis. Give me what belongs to me. Give me mine. Give me mine. And he says that he divided among them his living. Give me what I can carve out that's just mine. That's only mine. Don't you know that we are all members of the body? Every joint supplies. How can I say that my hand is my hand all by itself? that my foot is my foot all by itself. The hand is for the body. The foot serves the body. We all serve the body together. There's no portion that we can carve out for you. We can't just give you the song service because that's my part. We can't just give you the children's ministry because that's my part. That's what I like to do. I'm really good with the food, so I only want to do food. That's all. Whenever you need food, just call me because I'm the food person. No, we are all members of the body joined together. We serve the whole body. There's no part that you can carve out that's just for you. That's yours exclusively. You know, he didn't understand this. I talked before about, about the relationship between Abraham and Lot. How Lot was his nephew, but he was, he was an heir in his house. And Lot wanted to just, Lot wanted to just have, give me the portion that belongs to me and let's be brothers. Let's be equals. Let's be peers. You're a man and so am I. And he didn't realize that he was supposed to be as a son. In Abraham's house, and everything that was in that house, he was supposed to be in covenant relationship with. And so, as we try to carve out, just give me what belongs to me, just give me mine, give me mine, I want mine. We forget that we are in covenant relationship with the body, that we are tied into the body, that all the good of the body pertains to us. All the struggles of the body pertain to us. There is no individual that can hurt and the body not be hurt. There is no individual that can rejoice and the body not rejoice because we are all in the body and the body is Jesus Christ. Excuse me. We're gonna have to let go of our immaturity. You know where your entitlement, where it's seen, it's seen in you not committing. It's seen when the when the call comes for those to rise up and to be counted, and you sit on your hands. That's where your entitlement is seen. Your entitlement is seen in you not being accountable. Accountable means that you can count on me. That when you number the commitments that came in, that you can number me among those that met my commitments. When you needed to know that someone was going to be there, even when their services were not specifically required, you could count that I was always going to be there. A ready scribe already serving, able and willing and available to do the will of God. I'm accountable. I'm not going to just leave and go out of town and not tell anybody where I am. I'm not going to be sick and not tell someone that I need help. I'm going to be accountable. I'm not going to just struggle and try to grin and fake it. But I'm going to go to my covenant brother and I'm going to let him know I'm struggling in this area. And I need you to agree with me in prayer. Because I must needs get through this. Because God has a greater work in store for me. Your, your sense of entitlement is seeing you being resistant to correction. I didn't say you didn't take correction, I said that you resist correction. There's a thing in basketball that they do where, in other sports too, where where what they'll do is is that one player will try to get the referee's attention about a particular foul that's happening. And they're like, look, watch this, watch this happen. And they're trying to sensitize the referees so that they will always call that foul against the other team. right? They're trying to make them more wary and resistant. You know it's also you know in baseball what if if a pitch if if a batter is is too close to the plate, the pitcher will throw the ball real close to his face, and they'll call it brushback they'll just kind of push back a little bit Now I'm sorry to use these personalities if i if there was a relationship in cooking, I would tell you, but I don't know what one is. One thing I know is that I don't know the difference between a scallion and a scallop. And so therefore, other people operate in my kitchen. All you need to do is mix up baking powder and sugar, and you will no longer be asked to fix dessert. That's called, that's called, that's, called, that's the brushback right there. That's, that's what that is. So when you're resistant to correction, it's not that you don't take correction, but you just give just enough attitude with the correction. You give just enough attitude with the correction that the person that's correcting you, they they feel like, well, maybe I can't tell them next time. Maybe I'll just let them slide the next time. Maybe I'll just put up with a little bit more because they're a special case and and we don't want to hurt their feelings. That's your attitude of entitlement. When you resist correction and people feel like they can't tell you this is the standard. And we have measured you and found you wanting in the standard. You are lacking in this area. Your attitude is not appropriate. You must stand up and be accounted. And then you, 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 you stomp off like a, like a little kid. You, you, you sit on your hands when you should rise up. You pull back instead of going forward. You're like, well, I just won't do anything then. That's that rock that was in there all along. That's that rock that was in the soil all along. It has just come up to the surface. It's just come up to the surface. You're going to have to empty yourself out of that attitude of entitlement. You're going to have to empty yourself out of your self-consciousness. Self-con- what does that mean? I could have put in there selfishness. Or just your, your plain vanity. It is undue concern with outward appearances. And the opinion of others... They have no godly authority over you or covenant relationship with you. You're trying to impress people that could care less about you. You, You're trying to impress people that could care less about you and your welfare. They don't even know you. They don't even know who you are. They don't know who you are. They don't know where you come from. They don't know what God has in mind for you. And you're trying to impress them. You're trying to conform to their standard. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who's tricked you? Who's cast a spell over you? Having started out in the spirit, having started out trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that now you rely on flesh. This is the the older son. He's self-conscious. He's he's too self-absorbed. He's too outwardly focused. Look in Luke 15, verse 29. This is the older son. He's complaining to his father because his father is showing favor when his his younger brother has come back. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, there are many years, lo, these many years, do I serve thee, Need to transgress thy at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. See that immaturity, me, that inward focus, that I might make merry with my friends, my buddies. Never, they they can't see this. He's he, he's 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 too concerned about what other people think about him. He's too self-conscious. Now listen, you need to be aware of yourself. You need to be aware of how you present yourself. Don't be as one that looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what was in there. But what you need to know about yourself is that you have been bought with a price. That you are a purchased possession. That you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that your only purpose is to do the will of God in building up the kingdom. That's what you need to be aware of. That's what you need to be ever mindful of, ever conscious of. Not about these, not about other people's opinions of you, not about other people's judgments of you. I remember when I was younger, I used to I used to like to to uh, to, to run outside. I don't do it that much anymore. But I just used to, it was one of the things, one of the, one of the quirky things that I used to like to do. And I was not a part of a cross country team, I wasn't even, you know, I, I wouldn't even say I was, I was a jock or athlete, but I just loved the, the, uh, the, the meditation of it, of just, just going and going and going, and being able to have my mind, to my head to be clear, you know, no video games, no TVs, no books, just me in the sidewalk and moving around. And... I remember that when I this is when I was in high school, one of my this 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 guy that I knew, I guess you call him a friend or associate, he says, you know, I see you on the road sometimes running. And he says, I, I noticed that you don't you don't wear the same things that that the runners wear. You know, you don't have the fancy shoes or the, the high-tech, you know, gear. I just run what I had on, right? And he says, He says, you know what? You just keep doing what you're doing. And don't worry about anybody else. That guy rose up a couple of notches in my book when he said that. Because he said, you know, it does not matter what people around you think about what you're doing. You do what God has called you to do. And so even up here tonight. I'm not concerned if you all are saying, well, you know what, Minister Hastings would have said it this way, or or Pastor Hill would have said it that way. All I'm concerned about is doing what God has called me to do. I need to be ready to do what God has called me to do. He says, brother's voice sounds kind of weird. I got a little cold thing going on, but you know what? I am prepared to, to hear from God and to declare his words without ceasing. Now, after this, I'm going to go home, I'm going to take two real and I'm going to be asleep for the next 12 hours. But now, now is the time that God wants me to declare this word to you, and he strengthens me to do it. You cannot be at all concerned about what people think about your service, about what people think about how you do what you do. You do it with excellence. As God has appointed you and placed you, you stand and you serve. To Him be the glory. To Him be the glory. We've got to see the loss the same way that God sees the loss. He sees that they are valuable. That they are priceless to Him. You know what? The Father, He said in Luke 15 verse 24... <clears throat> he's asked to give an answer first to the, the strangers that are, that are come to the party at his house. Then he gave the same answer to his oldest son when he was whining and complaining about why he was showing his favor. And he said, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be married. He says, My son was gone. He was lost to me. He was useless. He was of no value. He was not contributing at all to the kingdom. His life was forfeit at that time. If God can't use you, then why wake you up? He was living on mercy. You know, you, you all would react so differently if we said that there were millionaires in your family, if there were scientists that were going to discover the cures to great disease diseases in your families, if there were if there were people that were going to be famous actors and singers and, and and famous athletes that all you needed to do was to keep them focused and to keep their keep them mindful and purposeful on on the things of this world and then it would come forth in time. But I want to let you know that greater things than that. Greater greater than that. Greater than that. Is in your seed. Is in your children. In your nephews, and your cousins. You're, you're walking past kings and queens every day that God has ordained to purpose, to do his will on the earth. If God could just use a man if God could just use a man, what could he do? That's what, when, when God sees the lost, he says, if I could just use that woman of God, if I could just use that child of God, the things that I could do. But we have to go out, we have to, we have to restore, we have to restore the lost. We've got to get past our own, our own childishness and our own feelings of entitlement, our own self-consciousness about what will people think about us. What's the image, what's the brand that I'm putting out there? You know, a great example of this, and I'll just close with this, is, 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 is Peter. And I love Peter because he was, people would classify him as as an extrovert. They say that he was a people pleaser. You know, a lot of time when, when, when someone is called a people pleaser, what that means is that as they were developing in their formative years, they had to endure some very challenging situations. Some rapidly changing situations. There could have been dysfunction, there could have been war, there could have been anything going on in the home. But but because the situations were always changing, they had to become very sensitive. Very sensitive to the faces and the attitudes of the people around them. And they had to be able to adapt themselves to that environment. And so I don't I don't fault Peter for being a people pleaser. It just it just tells me where he came from. It tells me what what the raw material was that he came from an environment that was constantly changing. And he became very sensitive to the, 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 the mood of the crowd, the temperature of the crowd, and he was able to adapt, to blend in, to fit in, so he didn't so he didn't stick out. It was a survival, a survival technique. But God called Peter to a work. God called Peter to a purpose. And Peter thought that he understood that he was going to be the rock and on a revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that the church would be based on. He thought he understood it. He thought that he'd taken it to heart and that he'd applied it to his life. But the rains came. The trials and the tests came. And those rocks that were inside of him came to the surface. He says, Lord, I will go with you to be persecuted, even to death. And Jesus says, you know what? Before this night is over with, you're going to deny me three times. He says, the rain is coming, Peter. The mood of the crowd, instead of it being a bunch of people with adoration and palms and praises, they're going to come asking to crucify me. To kill me. The mood of the crowd will change. And Peter, there's some rocks in you that have not been dealt with. And when the when the, when the guards came, Peter denied Christ. He denied Him. But after Jesus died and rose again and was ascended into heaven... And Peter was gathered among the brethren, not forsaking the assembling, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in being filled and spending that time of consecration, he dealt, he dealt with those rocks. And so when the people were questioning, why are these, 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 these these people? Why are they speaking in these tongues? Why are they making these noises? They're, They're speaking in these languages from the places that we're from. These are just common people. He said, he stood boldly and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He came up and he was bold on that day. And we would have thought that that would have been the end of it, that Peter had addressed that his garden was in good condition, that his soil was in good condition. But just because you remove some rocks, that doesn't mean that there are not more rocks. The only way that you'll know is that more rain has to come. And that pressure pushes those things up to the surface. And so here Peter thought that he was being right, that he was doing the right thing. He was even serving God as a a missionary, as a representative of the church. But when he came to the Galatians, he ate with the Gentiles. But as soon as the other Jews came, he separated himself. As you know what? I can't. No, I'm not going to mess with those Gentiles anymore. And he set an example that the other Jewish Christians saw and they also began to value the lost to value even their their Christian brothers less they began to value their Gentile Christian brothers less and Paul had to confront him he says Peter look at you you got that rock again that rock is back you thought you dealt with it, but it hasn't been dealt with. But herein is the end of the story. In First Peter chapter 3, Peter settled within himself to always be ready. To always be ready. In First Peter chapter 3, Just a quick paraphrase. In verse 12, he's talking about that. I'm not looking at the eyes of men anymore. But he's saying, I I consider the eyes of the Lord, for they are on the righteous. And he hears the prayers. He hears their prayers. In verse 15, he says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. This, This is where Peter ended up with. This is the result of constant preparation, of being ready That he was no longer concerned about the words of other people. But he says that those that would accuse me, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They they themselves will be put to shame. For I have sanctified the Lord God in my heart. And I am ready always to give an answer. This is the way that we must be. If we will be as Ezra, a ready scribe, if we will be as watchmen on the wall, continually declaring the word of God to the people of God to be ready to be prepared, to restore, to receive in the in gathering. The city has been has been built. Jesus Christ is the place. The city is already prepared. Now it's time to bring in the people. So we must be as those that are ready, that are ready to give an answer to anyone that questions why is it that we hope? Why is it that we hope? Because we know who we are. Because we know who we are and who we belong to. Stand to your feet.